Welcome to Coogan Knows the Law, where we untangle the knots of complicated legal questions and break down legalese into plain English. I'm attorney Jim Coogan. Today's question is, what is the Pretrial Fairness Act? So we're going to cover one of the big developments in Illinois criminal law, really in the last 10 years, 20 years, in decades, a genuine, complete change in the law. You may have heard about it in news stories. You may have heard about it in the last election cycle. There was quite a bit of politicking being done about the Pretrial Fairness Act and what pretrial detention really even means. But when we go through this today, we're going to describe, number one, what the new Pretrial Fairness Act is and this big change in Illinois criminal law as part of what they call the Safety Act. Number two, there is very soon going to no longer be bond for criminal suspects. You won't be able to bond out or post bail. That's a big change. Number three, what are pretrial detention hearings? And what are they going to look like in this new era of criminal law in Illinois? And lastly, some of the challenges that this will present for prosecutors and probation officers. But first, this episode is brought to you by the law firm of Coogan Gallagher, where we do focus on civil cases. But if you have questions about a wrongful detention case or a wrongful incrimination case, or something like that where there could be civil rights that are implicated in a criminal prosecution, please feel free to reach out to us at cgtrial.com or call us at 312-782-7482. So let's get into what the Safety Act is, and that's S-A-F-E hyphen T. It was passed in 2022 with all sorts of different provisions that are going to affect criminal prosecutions and criminal law in Illinois in all kinds of different ways. Right after the law was supposed to go into effect, lawsuits were filed claiming that it was unconstitutional. That put the whole thing on hold. While the case was pending through the court system, Illinois courts did not change this big provision, which was that there would no longer be cash bail for people that are charged with a crime. So nothing actually changed in the first half of 2023 as that process played out. But recently, the case made its way to the Illinois Supreme Court They had to dispute over whether or not language in the Illinois Constitution meant that this law was unconstitutional. Essentially, the folks that were claiming that this change shouldn't be made argued that language in the Constitution that set forth that bail should be part of the criminal process, that people should be able to post bail, to post bond, and not be incarcerated while they're waiting for a trial over criminal charges. The argument was that it wouldn't be fair, it wouldn't be constitutional to make a new system where there is no bail. Ultimately, in a close decision, the Illinois Supreme Court decided that that language in the Constitution does not make it so that you must have a system where there's cash bail. Rather, they accepted the new process, which is there are still going to be pretrial determinations when someone's charged with a crime. There's still going to be a process where they're brought before a judge to decide whether or not they should be in jail or not in jail while they wait for their trial to happen, but that this new system is constitutional. It's just going to be very different than the one that we used to have. So that means that the Pretrial Fairness Act is now the law in Illinois. But what does that mean to anybody who might be charged with a crime? People have heard about bonding out. They've heard about posting bail. There's been TV shows about bounty hunters who go and chase down folks who've been charged with a crime, posted their money, but part of that money might have been through a bail bondsman, and then they decided not to show up for court. And because that bail bondsman wants their money back, they're going to go find that person. 
it's a very treacherous, kind of a dangerous underbelly of the American criminal justice system. Not every state allows for bounty hunters. It almost feels like it's something from the old West. But in situations like that, where the person didn't just post the bail themselves with the county court, but instead posted some amount of money and then the rest of it was put up by a bail bondsman, that can lead to those, let's call it adventurous television shows where the person's hiding out, they're trying to avoid being found, dog the bounty hunter or somebody has to go track them down and then bring them in because they're supposed to show up in court. In Illinois, the system used to involve posting some percentage of whatever the bail was set by the trial judge would be. So the way that it worked was you charged with a crime, arrested, brought in for a bail hearing. And at that time, the judge would be presented with a very limited amount of evidence, like whether or not you'd ever been charged with a crime before, whether or not you'd ever served time before, any priors, as they refer to it in the system. And based upon those priors and whether or not the person was a flight risk, what their ties to the community were, the judge would make a determination. Bail is set at $1,000 or a million dollars or somewhere in between. They did also have recognizance bonds or I bonds or bonds where the person didn't have to put up any money, but they were obligated to return to court for their next hearing. And if they didn't do it, then a warrant would be issued for their arrest. Either way, what it led to was a system that really favored people who had more money. This was the purpose of rewriting the law in the first place, because it meant that if you had money and you were charged with a crime, then you could bail out. But if you didn't have an extra $1,000 or $10,000 at your disposal, you'd have to sit in jail. This is actually one of those distinctions that most people don't really think about unless they're part of the criminal justice system or they work as an attorney or as a probation officer or in a jail or a prison. But there's a difference between jail and prison. Jails are run by the county. The prison system is run by the state of Illinois. Or the federal system has its Bureau of Prisons. But jail is where people sit before they've even been convicted of a crime because they can't get out, because they can't pay to get out. In a lot of ways, it was economically discriminatory. I mean, it gave people the opportunity to get back to their lives and maybe beat the rap. Maybe they could plead out. But in the meantime, they weren't missing time with their family. They weren't missing time at work. But if someone couldn't bail out, that meant they were going to get fired. Maybe they'd miss payments on their rent, on their car, on their cell phone, all the other things that you just can't do while you're in custody. So it was enormously disruptive to those persons' lives. And a lot of times those were not for serious crimes, like retail theft or possibly for auto-related things where they accumulated too many tickets. Now suddenly they can't afford bail and their life is turned upside down. It's an enormous economic injustice. That was the goal of rewriting this law. And one thing that people tended to forget when they were arguing about whether or not this would lead to all sorts of other havoc is the United States criminal justice system comes with a presumption of innocence. Everybody's heard that phrase. You're presumed innocent until proven guilty. Recently, in the wild developments surrounding the events of January 6, 2021, and, and the former president, the prosecutor, Jack Smith, the prosecutor in Fulton County, Georgia, Fonnie Willis, they remind people in their press conferences, because it's the right thing to do, all of the charged suspects, all of the alleged co-conspirators are innocent until proven guilty. The same is true about everybody else. Once you're charged with a crime, it doesn't mean you've done it, even though the prosecutors are supposed to be gathering evidence that will prove that the person is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Either way, until they've been proven beyond a reasonable doubt to be guilty, it's an enormous burden for the person to be in jail because they can't afford a few hundred or a few thousand dollars. So the change 
was intended to help the poor, working class people, middle class people who just don't have that extra money sitting around. And ultimately, for nonviolent crimes, it will mean that people will be able to get back to their lives while the criminal process plays out. But this is better for all of society. It's going to cost less money to have people sitting in jail just because they can't bond out. They'll be able to keep their jobs, keep their lives, keep their apartment, pay their rent, pay for their car. So let's talk about the third element. How is it going to be different? So the new standard, instead of deciding the magnitude of what the person's been alleged to have done or whether they had prior convictions or whether they have ties to the community such that they aren't perceived to be a flight risk, the new question is, what type of felony or misdemeanor are they being charged with in the first place? So virtually all misdemeanors will mean that the person doesn't go to jail. They will not be held in custody, in jail, while their case is pending. Given that misdemeanors are lower levels of crime, they're for things that the person, by definition, would not be in prison for for more than a year, even if they were convicted. That's one of the other rules about what's a misdemeanor, what's a felony. Well, misdemeanors are things that if you get convicted, the state law would say that you're in jail for that less than one year period. Felonies are things that could carry a jail or a prison sentence of more than a year. So they tend to be more serious things. So misdemeanors, the person won't have to be in custody. They'll be let out. There will be a requirement that they return to court. If they skip that court date, well, that's, that's a whole new kettle of fish. Now they've opened the door to being imprisoned. But it's really a contract with the person to say, you can keep your life. You can try to keep a semblance of normality. And we're not going to take away your liberty until we've actually convicted you. Or eventually there may be a plea bargain and so on. But for felony charges, the next question is whether that was a forcible felony. And the term is somewhat self-explanatory. It invokes some kind of force, whether there was a battery, a rape, murder, some kind of forcible thing where the person who is alleged to have committed that crime did something violent to somebody else. So in that situation, the judge can order pretrial detention. The other factors that they're going to be able to consider are whether or not that person is a danger to the community or they are a danger to the alleged victim, the person who they beat up, who they may have allegedly raped, who they allegedly killed. Obviously, the victim there isn't going to be at risk, but that goes to whether or not the person is a danger to the community. And then the other factor is, is there a very credible reason that they're a flight risk? And this goes to the overall jeopardy that the person may be in. If it's a small-time charge, is it reasonable to assume that they're going to flee the community altogether? They're going to flee the country over what might be a year or two in prison? Perhaps, but there will have to be a hearing where the prosecutor has the burden of demonstrating if they believe that accused criminal should be in jail pending their case, they're going to have to show that there's an actual flight risk, not a perceived flight risk, not a presumed flight risk, not just making assumptions, which all of those things, as we have been dealing with for quite some time, put more people into Cook County Jail put more people into Will County Jail, put more people into DuPage County Jail, more people that the jail staff have to deal with, and challenges what are already overcrowded jail facilities. So if you're not a flight risk, if you're not a danger to the community, if you're not a danger to go attack that victim again, and it's not one of those forcible felonies that require pretrial detention, then people will just get a ticket and they'll be asked to return to court. And if they blow it off, they'll be arrested. But This system may present some challenges because there will have to be some adaptation. 
So let's talk about that for just a moment. At the outset, these hearings where they may have to present evidence if the prosecutor believes it's appropriate, why the person who's been charged with the crime should be detained, they will be more involved than those routine bail hearings used to be. It's a good and a bad thing. Ask anybody who's part of the criminal justice system and they'll tell you those bail hearings would be for a moment, a couple of minutes, five minutes, not even. Because of the volume of cases, the volume of charges, the number of cases that would have to be presented to a particular judge each day in bond court, it made it impossible to spend a whole lot of time going through each one of those files, getting detailed information, having a thorough hearing. So they did the best they could. The new system will require a much more thorough hearing because they're going to have to present specific evidence that demonstrates that one of those risks is present, that the alleged criminal is a risk to flee the district, is a risk to re-victimize whoever it is that they allegedly harmed. But these will be for a much smaller number of cases. Because again, if someone's charged with a misdemeanor or a felony that's not a forcible felony, they're immediately going to be processed through the system with a ticket. Those cases won't require one of these more thorough hearings. So it will take more work on a case-by-case basis, but the percentage of the overall cases that require that sort of in-depth analysis and that hearing before a judge will be a smaller percentage instead of basically all of them. And there will be some time constraints here because there would be a rule in place that requires that that hearing happen within 90 days. So it's going to put some pressure on the prosecutors and the police and their investigators to gather whatever evidence is going to be appropriate to show why that person should be detained. But these are the kinds of things that have to be worked through in those cases anyway. 90 days in some ways is a long time, but if you're a burdened prosecutor with 1,000 cases on your docket, it will be a challenge. And then there's going to be the question of whether or not there should be a continuance of that 90 days. Should the person who's in custody because it's a forcible felony, and they haven't decided whether or not they should stay in custody, should that go beyond 90 days? The law says they can do it if there's good cause shown. Nobody knows what that's going to mean just yet, because it's a different standard, it's a new standard that didn't apply in bond hearings previously. And there's one other challenge that this system is going to present. All the folks who are given a ticket and released on their recognizance and allowed to go on with their lives pending the procedure of their case, well, somebody's going to keep track of all that. So this will take an allocation of resources by each county's probation office or by their pretrial services office to figure out how to staff this properly, how to organize this properly, because suddenly the number of people under their supervision is going to expand rapidly. However, I think it's really important to note that this is still going to be a benefit to the taxpayer and to the community, because it's a lot more expensive to put somebody in jail and have them stay there. To them to the community, the number of guards that you have to have, food services, all kinds of other human resources that have to be brought to bear when people are in custody. Even though it's shifting, it's actually a good representation of what we think of as individualism in the United States of America, where people will be out on their own. The system doesn't have to take care of them, and they're obligated to participate and to be accountable. So let's move to our closing argument. Illinois law has changed as a result of the passage of the Pretrial Fairness Act. And now, because the Supreme Court has decided that it's constitutional, it's the law. This is gonna change a lot of people's lives. And it's definitely going to be different for the prosecutors, for pretrial services, certainly for the community. But hopefully it's going to offer us a better way of dealing with people who are presumed innocent 
and have not yet been found guilty of whatever crime they're charged with. This episode of Coogan Knows the Law has been brought to you by the law firm of Coogan Gallagher. Find us at cgtrial.com or 312-782-7482. And it's been produced by Ear for Audio.